What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again. In today's episode, we are going to talk about all things in finding your happiness. And I believe that this is very, very important because depending on when you're watching or listening at this, we can all agree that over the last three, five, I mean, so many years, but definitely the last three or five, there's been so many things out there that has tried to steal our happiness from media to uh, adversity, tragedy, all those things. So today we have an expert on the line, my friend, Mrs. Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? <laughs> what's up, Dream Nation? I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. Now, I don't know if you've seen the show before, but the way that I always love to start the shows is I compare us as entrepreneurs, thought leaders, change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world. We're trying to put on our cape and solve some of the world's biggest problems. And so for anybody who's seen your website or seen all of the publications you've been featured in or seen your social media, they see you as this superhero, right? That S on your chest is almost like a superwoman. But behind the scenes, when there's no camera on, what a lot of people maybe can't describe is who is that Lois Lane, right? Same way that we say it with Clark Kent and Superman. So my question for you is when it comes to Gretchen Rubin, if you can take us back, tell us how do we get here? And more importantly, who is that Lois Lane? Mm. Well, if you were going to look at me right now or, you know, just sort of in a in a in my usual state, I'd be wearing yoga pants, running shoes, like the same sweatshirt I've been wearing for many days. I probably like rereading a book on the sofa. Um, which is my favorite thing to do. Um, I started life uh, in Kansas City, Missouri, and I also have roots in Nebraska, as I know you do, Casanova. Um, and uh, I started my career in law, so I was actually clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer. Um, now, wow. I am best known for my book, The Happiness Project, um, but what many people don't realize is that was my fourth book. So, like many people, I worked for 10 years um, very hard in order to become an overnight sensation. Um, and once I wrote, um, I got started researching and thinking about happiness and engaging with audiences and hearing other people's experiences and questions and observations. Um, I've just become more and more fascinated by the just the giant subject of happiness. You know, how can we be happier, healthier, more creative, more productive, more loving? Um, so I wrote The Happiness Project. I wrote a book called Better Than Before that's all about how we can change our habits. Because for many people, like, they know perfectly well what would make them happier, but they have to make it a habit. Or they're an entrepreneur and they're stalled out for some reason. Like, they say, hey, look, when I worked in an office every day, I had no trouble meeting my deadlines. So what's happening now? Like, why am I paralyzed? Um, so I became very interested in questions like that. Um, and, um, and as part of that, I developed this personality framework that divides people into four categories called the Four Tendencies Framework. And so then I wrote a book about that. And, um, and I also have a podcast myself, which is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which I do with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who's a TV showrunner, um, where we talk about kind of how to take happiness from the abstract to the concrete. 
Um, so uh, that's how I got where I am, kind of not really knowing where I was aiming um, and just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not one of these people who has like a five-year plan. I'm always like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in five years. So it just hurts my head to think about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's so much to unpack there. Now, first off, you told me before we went on air, you are in New York now. New York City? Yes. Yes. New York yep. City. So Manhattan. How, yeah. how does a girl from small town Nebraska make her way mm. out to New York City? Well, I am actually from Kansas City. This is my grandparents who live in North Platte, um, Nebraska. Um, But still, Kansas City is far from New York City. So I came east to go to college. Um, I was at Yale for both college and law school. So I was already kind of had started my career on the East Coast. And so then I ended up um, staying here. And then I married a guy who's from New York City. And we actually, he lives on the same block that he lived on growing up. We live right around the corner from my in-laws. And I mean, you do not even cross the street um, to get from our apartment building to their apartment building. So, um, so I was very happy to end up in New York City. And, and, and he was definitely, um, plan- you know, uh, that was definitely the gravitational pull for him, too. Wow. So instantly, anybody who's listening at you, they can hear that you kind of you have big dreams based off of what you've already said, because to go from even Kansas City to now small town Nebraska. But then you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to Yale. Right. Which is a a big dream for a lot of people if they want to go Ivy League and you're at the top of the top. Like, where did that come from? Was that something that was just instilled in you from because that's a long plan? You said I'm not a five year planner. But at what point did you know you really wanted to go to Mm -hmm. Yale? That is a great question. I think I'm the kind of person who does very. And I think this is a challenge for for a certain kind of person who wants to be an entrepreneur. I do very well when it's like, here are the steps, go through the steps. Because I'm like, tell me a step, I will do it. Give me, a, you know, give me a, like a, a milestone and I will hit it. Give me a finish line and I will cross it. I'm really good at that. But what I found kind of in my life as a writer and a podcaster and all the things that I'm doing, like sometimes you got to make up the ladder. Like no one's, no one's showing you the plan. And like I think one of the reasons I went to law school because it was like it was a very clear thing. Like this is what you do. This is how you get in. This is how you succeed. It's all laid out. And like you can succeed or fail, but you know what it looks like. I'm the kind of person, and I think many people are like this, where it's actually, and some people are just the opposite. Some people, they see that plan and they resist it. That makes them bonkers. Like they don't want somebody to tell them what success looks like. So they do well when they're like thriving as an entrepreneur and figuring things out on the fly. But for someone like me, that is a, that is the bigger challenge. It's like, Mm. there's no, there's no, there's no blueprint. There's no game plan. Like you got to figure it out yourself. What are the milestones? What, what, what's on the to-do list? Like, how should you challenge yourself? And so I think for me, um, something like school is pretty straightforward. And, but like being like, okay, now you're a writer and, and like, who knows what that looks like. Everybody does it in a different way. Like I was, I had to figure that out for myself, and that was a challenge for me. Yeah. So where did the um, where did the drive to then leave? You said you were cloaking. Where did the drive come from to leave and now really embark on this writing career? Well, you know, 
if I look back, I was setting myself up to be a writer for, for you know, my whole life. Like, I majored in English. I was always reading and writing. I would always, like, write a paper instead of taking a test. I went to law school, which is a, which is uh, teaches you a lot about analysis and writing. Um, but I never really thought of myself as a writer because I always thought, like, writers either wrote fiction, like, novels or in plays and movies, or they were journalists, or they were like academic writers. And I didn't want to do any of those things, so I, I didn't really see a place for myself. Um, but when I was clerking, I had this epiphany. I was out walking around Capitol Hill on my lunch break, and I looked up at the Capitol Dome against the sky. And you know, sometimes you just ask yourself these rhetorical questions. So I thought to myself, what am I interested in that everyone else in the world is also interested in. And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And it was like, power, money, fame, sex. It, like, started ringing in my head. And I, like, instantly was like, I must research this. And this is something that happens to me all the time. It happened to me when I was eight years old. It happens to me now. I'll get intensely interested in a subject, and I'll just do tons and tons of research. So this was a very familiar feeling to me. I was like, power, money, fame, sex. But I mean, I was just spending so much time researching it. I was staying late at work. I was working on the weekends. I was taking all these notes. And finally, it dawned on me, this is the kind of thing a person would do if they were going to write a book. And then I thought, well, maybe I could write that book. So I went to the bookstore and got a book called something like How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal. And I just followed the directions. And that became my first book. I mean, it took a while to do that. Um, so for me, the drive came, it was less about wanting to leave law and more about and not even so much wanting to be a writer. It was wanting to write this specific book, which I was already well on the way to writing. And I think that made it easier for me because I think sometimes people know what they want to leave, but they don't know where they want to go. And that's mm. hard to figure out. Whereas I felt, I always, you know, in Star Wars where like the Millennium Falcon is caught in the tractor beam and they're like, we have to take our hands off the wheel because it'll pull the ship apart if we don't go onto the Death Star. We just, we're being pulled in. And I'm like, that's how it was for me. I was like, I have have to do it. And at a certain point, I thought, look, I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So I just wow. have to try. I have to take my shot and, and succeed or fail and then figure it out from there. And I was at a logical place. Um, uh, you know, I was coming to an end of a job. And so it was like, if there's ever a time to do it, this is the time. I have the freedom to do it. I have the idea. Um, if I get another legal job, I'll probably get really enmeshed in that. And um, and so I should take my shot. Um, and so that's what I did. Wow. I love that. And, and wow, I, that's absolutely what I think a lot of people, it's the fear of failure more than, you know, the, the excitement of succeeding. Right. And that's why a lot of people don't take that step. But obviously you had that pull. You had something that was pulling you ahead rather than pushing you backwards or maybe even pulling you backwards. But no, I, I'm glad to hear it. So talk to me about you said because a lot of people this is a very interesting topic. We don't hear a lot of people talking about um, how to write books. How do they get their proposal out there? Even though nowadays we know that writing a book can give you that opportunity to get on podcasts, YouTube channels yeah. and become an authoritative figure. So yeah. for you on that first one, like what did that process look like for you after you got this book? Mm. Well, um, the thing is, nowadays, there's so many ways to publish a book. A lot of people self-publish their book. And so they go a very different route where they write the book and maybe they work with people to edit it and give it a cover and, and they can self-publish it. And so they can publish it and distribute it all on their own. And that's kind of a separate 
that's a big challenge, but and that's one challenge. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Minky Couture Blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky Blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Minky Blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture Blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture. I went the other route, which was being published by a traditional publisher, which is, you know, like Penguin Random House or, you know, that kind of publisher. And to, and to be published by that kind of publisher, you need an agent. And actually getting an agent is harder than getting a, a, your book proposal accepted, I think, and for mm-hmm. my observation and experience. And so that was a whole long pro- process of getting an agent. So, I mean, like I said, I got this book, and, and nowadays there's so much information online about how to do it, which was like you know, write your table of contents, write a couple sample chapters, write a letter explaining like what your idea is and and explain why you think other people will want to read it. Because a lot of times people want to write books and you're like, yeah, but I don't know that anybody wants to read that book. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't write it, but it means that they might, you might not get an agent for it or, or have a publisher for it. Um, and so that was, that was what I did. So I, I, I wrote all those pieces, the sample chapter, the table of contents, the pitch letter. And then I just started, you know, approaching agents. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of rejections before I got my agent, but my agent is the same agent that I have now is the same agent I had when I started. We've been together the whole time. So um, and we were both just starting out. It's funny. We look back on it now and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, what were we thinking? <laughs> we just started. Um, so that was kind of fun to come up together. Yeah. Did you did you ever battle with imposter syndrome to say, like, why me? Like, who says that I'm good enough to write this mm. book? Or was it kind of like the Malcolm Gladwell outliers where you're like, I put about 10,000 hours into this research. So I feel like I am the expert to write this book. You know, that is a great question. And I think I sort of didn't think about either of those things. I just thought, like, I want to write this book. Um, I want to kind of, I just had a vision for what I wanted it to be, and I wanted to carry it forward. And um, and then having done that, or, you know, having done a big part of that with doing all the research that I'd done and then doing all the stuff about the book proposal, it's just sort of like I just have to carry through with this. I just have to see it through, and it, and I and kind of like my personal feelings. I just tried to almost, 
I don't want to say disregard them because we should never ignore our, our, our negative emotions or whatever. But um, I just was sort of like, I, I've got to take my shot. Um, now, one and one of the things that I often remind myself is to enjoy the fun of failure. And it's like, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And so I was like, you know, I'm just, I just have to try it and see see where I get um, and keep trying when I got people rejecting it. Um, and I just felt like my, you know, I'm kind of, with everything I write, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I have lived up to the subject, but this stuff is so interesting. How can people not be interested? Because it's just like so interesting. So I did have faith in my material. Every time I've written a book, I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, this is the most, like right now I'm writing a book about the five senses and I'm like, this is the most delicious subject. You know, I hope that I can write a book that will do justice to like how rich and interesting this subject is. And so that always gives me comfort too. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, you, the Happiness Project, what inspired that? You told us about um, the, the first Power, book Money, Fame, Sex. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. But tell us about what inspired the Happiness Project. So again, I'm a, my favorite thing about myself is I'm very subject to epiphany, and I always know exactly where I, where I had them. So I was in a crowded city bus in New York City um, in the pouring rain. It was moving very slowly, and I was just finishing my book uh, about JFK called 40 Ways to Look at JFK. And that book was in the final stages, so I had a little bit more mental bandwidth that I, than I kind of would typically have because usually I'm very preoccupied with whatever I'm working on. And I looked out the window on this boring bus ride, and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, well, I want to be happy. And I realized that even though I said that, I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy, what it meant to be happy, is it even possible to make yourself happier? And I thought, you know, I should have a happiness project. And I went out to the the library, got a giant stack of books about happiness, and started reading it. Again, this is something that happens to me all the time, so fine, you know, here I go. But this subject was so vast and endless, and there were so many things I wanted to learn about and so many things I wanted to try in my own life that at a certain point I thought, wow, maybe this should be my next book. And I thought, well, you know what? I should do a happiness project. And why don't I take a year, divide it into 12 parts, give each month a theme, give myself some resolutions to follow every month, with energy and relationships and work and all the all the 12 themes and see can I make myself happier and learn like what does science philosophy pop culture tell us about how to be happier and if you can be happier um so and that is what I did so it started out just being something I was going to do for my own kind of life um but it turned out to be such a fascinating subject that I decided to turn it into a book and indeed I've been kind of researching the larger subject of happiness ever since yeah, no. So one thing that it sounds like when you get these epiphanies, it doesn't seem like that you ever go and seek anyone's validation before you should do it. And maybe I'm wrong no. on this, but no, I haven't heard true. you say, hey, I, you know, I, I called up my sister and said, hey, I'm thinking about writing a yeah. book on this, which is what I think the average person does. I, yes. If they're thinking about writing a book, starting a blog, you know, um, starting a business, whatever it might be. So for you, is there any techniques or methods like how do you just you're like, I'm good with my own validation. I don't even need to ask anyone else. You know, I've never thought about that, but I think you're exactly right. I don't wait for anybody else to tell me. Um, and a lot of times I do sort of start these projects on my own and they're just kind of like 
playful things. Like I have this whole thing that I wrote it called My Color Pilgrimage that's all about the beauties of color. I got really interested in color. And I know, I, you know, I didn't even mention it to people for a long time because it was just sort of something that was happening kind of inside my head. Um, so I, yeah, I think you're right. I, well, you're definitely right. I don't ask for anybody else's um, opinion. Now, if I was going to write a book, um, if I wanted to like publish a book, well, then I would have to go to my agent and say, do you think this is a book that a publisher would want to publish? And then, of course, we have to go to a publisher and be and say, are you willing, you know, would, can we make a deal? So I have to face the market reality of that. Um, truth be told, I have several projects that either have like I have three novels locked in a desk drawer that no one will ever see. I have like a thing called um um, the sweetness of life without sugar, which is this thing I wrote about giving up sugar. I have done nothing with that. I've done nothing with my color pilgrimage. I have, I have this, I'm writing a book of aphorisms, which, you know, I hope to publish one day. So I have a lot of kind of projects floating around that I love to work on. Um, so, but I do it, I do it because I'm really interested in it. You're right. I don't, I don't really seek anyone's validation. And I think you're your question implies a very important point, which is, you know, don't wait for somebody to tell you that something's a good idea because they have, may have their own agenda or, or, or their own subconscious beliefs. And what I find, and you know, Casanova, I don't know if you find this too, but often I think that people out of such love and from all the best intentions, they want to save us from failure. They don't want us to be disappointed. They don't want us to be frustrated. They don't want us to be discouraged or, or fail. Um, and so they say, don't do it. Take the safe way. That's risky. You've never done this before. You don't know what you're doing. Other people are experts. Why are you thinking that you're the person to do this? And it's good to be cautious and to be well prepared and to be realistic and all that. But sometimes you just have to say, look, you know what? Like, I can watch a YouTube how to video as well as anybody else. I think I can figure this out. People can do amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that one of my mentors told me um, a while ago. But he says, you know, your family, your friends, they can be sincere and most likely they will be sincere. But understand they can be sincerely wrong as yes. well. Right. So it goes right to your point. No, that's that's a great thing. And and that's what I was asking, like how, because I think a lot of people, they want to adapt that mindset that I don't need anyone else's validation, but they don't have the context around it um, yeah. of like, how can I just take that um take that leap with faith, right? Having my eyes open and my chest up. How can yeah. I take this and uh, how can I move on my own belief? But I feel like a lot of people, they don't have an, a strong enough foundation. So that's why I was hoping you were sharing to it. But I think you did do a good job and and just telling people, you know, understand that everybody else has their own subconscious beliefs, right? Things yeah. like that. There might be a reason why they're telling you no. So you just got to opt. And they just might not have the excitement nor the vision yeah. Of what you, you know, sometimes they say we, we fear what we don't understand. So if you yeah. can't, even if you're just so, you know, when we get excited about something, we tend to spew all over someone else, right? Of what it's like, blah, 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 and it's like, wait, 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 slow down. I don't understand. So if that person doesn't understand, they can't right. possibly say, yeah, go ahead along with it because they don't fully understand your vision. Um, I think that's absolutely right. And I think also when things are changing so fast now is that somebody just might not have the, the context to understand that something that you think is like, I could do this for money and make a good living. They're like, that's not a job. 
Like, what is that? You can't, like, you know, I mean, there's people now, like, Twitch players, you know? They play video games for money, and it's like, that's a job? It's like, oh, heck yes, that can, not for everybody, um, right. but there's some people who, you know, there's, it's, um, so I don't think people always have, um, they don't always know what they don't know, um, you know, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be well prepared, because, um, you know, you want to go into things with a, with a, concrete sense of what's required um but sometimes that that's even can be comforting to be like look i have to cross these 10 things off the list and that's very challenging that's a big lift but it's doable and i can do it and i will do it yeah for sure i think that's some great words of wisdom right there uh, let's take it back because I, I feel like somebody that's looking at this or, or listening at this right now and they still maybe have a little bit of uh they're looking for some closure and understanding you said hey there's one route which you could go self-publishing and there's the other route which you took uh which yeah. you can hire an agent and a publisher which one doing it again now if you had to do it all over again which one would you do Oh, I would I would still work with an agent and a publisher. Yeah, I mean because why is that? Um, because I'm a professional writer, and so there's that's sort of the more for people who are kind of writers by trade. That's just much more um, the route that they would go. You have better distribution. So you're saying if you're like if you're if you're a writer and you don't necessarily focus on the marketing and the selling, then you go yeah. this route. But if you're more of a marketer seller, but you maybe don't do as much into the writing, you would go yes. the other route. Yes, because when you're published by like a, a publishing house, they have all kinds of you know specialists and knowledge, and um, you know you become you're, you're part of that. Whereas if you're self-published, all that's on you. And some people really thrive on that. And I mean, I I know somebody who's self-published and she's written like forty books. And she's all up in her metrics and her sales and she knows all about it. And she's, you know, really, really sophisticated in her understanding of how to do that. Um, but then for some people, that's just not something that, you know, they want to write their book. Um, and that's and 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 there is still a feeling that people who are self-published um, maybe are sort of doing it more independently, um, you know, less as part of the kind of the the kind of profession of of writing and publishing though that's changing very quickly it's all you know everything's changing everything's right. changing. everything is changing and then yeah. as far as like an agent wise for somebody like what do you think separate like is it just going through the numbers is there an agent out there for everyone or mm. is it like no if you're going to approach any agent you want to make sure that you have x y or z or you probably won't ever get someone to take you on as a client well, that's a really important question. And so I would say to anybody who's thinking about getting an agent, you definitely want to go out with best foot forward at every stage because um, agents and publishers are very, very pressed for time. And so they're just they're just going through things as fast as they can. They aren't looking to be like, ooh, is there a diamond in the rough here that I can you know, somehow find? They're they're really like trying to manage a lot. And so you want your whatever you're submitting to them to shine and be as, as good as it can be. Um, and it is very typical that people would be rejected by many agents and many publishers. It's hard to find that match. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, and one thing I would also say to people, and I, I see this as a writer myself, because people often talk to me about wanting to write books. Sometimes when people want to write a book and they, they're approaching an agent or a publisher, they spend a lot of time explaining 
why they want to write this book or why they so much want to be a writer or why they're so deeply passionate about their subject. But here's the thing. That's incredibly important to you. But what the agent and editor needs to think about is, are you going to be able to write a book that a lot of people are going to want to read? So they're very interested in like, can you write this book? Will you write this book? As in, can you finish this book by the date that we've said you will finish it? Because some people have trouble with that. And then also, is this a book that other people will want to read? And so you telling them how much you've always wanted to be a writer, that's not really relevant to them. Like, that's your own personal dream. But they're like, yeah, but I'm interested in, like, are are people going to read this novel? Or are people going to read this guide to leadership? Um, so I would just say to people, always, uh, always be focusing on why this is a great book for an eager audience more than your own passion for it, um, which I don't dismiss because obviously I shared that passion and I love to talk to people about it. But it's not um, if, if you're trying to go through the system, um, it's not what you would emphasize, I would I would suggest. Yeah, for sure. Do you think uh, for someone who. Like, are there still, because I think when I was growing up and this was five, seven years ago, but, and I, I went the self-publishing route as well because. Oh, you this did? Was, yeah. Yeah. This is like five years ago. Um, no, nah, it wasn't that, probably four years ago, four years ago now. Um, but I went that route because it seemed intimidating and daunting to try to find an agent, right? It just mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, and it, it felt like all of the agents were in New York city, right? And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm in, in like how, and it just didn't feel like I had as much access to them. Well, the, the thing is, I think the only reason why I liked it is because it felt like, yeah, you would get a lot more distribution and you, and it felt like I didn't know anybody as I did my research on it. I didn't know anybody who became a New York Times bestseller or a Wall Street Journal bestseller um, just based off of being independent without a really big name and a very big, strong yes. background that they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Right. So my question to you is back then they would always talk about like six figure, maybe even seven figure signing deals. Now, because everything has become so much more accessible to the creator. Right. Are those yeah. deals even still available? You mean for self-publishing or for no for, for getting an agent? Because before it would be like, well, man, I could go get an agent and maybe I could go get like six figures, seven figures because yeah. they would put everything yeah. behind you. Is those still available? Well, sure to the right person. I mean, yeah, to people who were, it's all just a matter of how many books that they think they'll sell. So, yes, that's, you know, um, so it's all, you know, what's your subject? What's your platform? How, you know, how good is the book? How timely is the subject? All those things go into it. And so some people get very, very small book deals and some people get very, very big book deals. So it's it's all over the place. Um it is, it is really competitive. You're right. Um, and, uh, and, a, and a lot of people, and I think your, your experience is, is, is one that a lot of people feel. And also the thing about self-publishing is that it's very fast. And I think a lot of people, maybe particularly like entrepreneurs, they're like, I, I got this thing ready. I want to get it out the door. Like, I don't have time to waste. And like pu- publishers are notoriously slow. It's at least a year from the time you turn it in to the time that it's published. So people that are like, they, they, they just want to go, 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 or people who are writing about something that's very timely, um, they get very impatient and they don't want to put up with that delay, which is part of like being part of the machinery of a big team and going through all their stages. You know, it's kind of like, it's a bug and a feature. You have all these people involved, but then they have to have the time to do their jobs and that slows things down. Whereas a lot of people like, they're like, 
I could write three books in this time. Like, I just want to get it out in the world. And so self-publishing, you're right. You can do it on your own. You don't need to go through those other, you don't have to wait for anybody else to kind of jump on board. And then you control the timing much more. Um, And many people find that to be very, very satisfying. Cool. Well, hopefully we gave someone enough information on both sides that they can make a, a, a sound decision for themselves if they want the quick or, you know, do they do they consider themselves a marketer or a salesman yeah. or do they yeah. just want to focus their energy on the writing side? There's a great resource that I recommend called, uh, by Jane Friedman. I can't remember the name of her site, but her name is Jane Friedman. And she writes, a, there's a couple Jane Friedmans. Um, I've gotten confused before, but one of them writes a lot, lots of really detailed hands-on information about why do you go self-publishing? Why would you go to mainstream? What are the steps? What does it look like? What are the resources? It's like it's just like the best place that I've seen um, that's like updated and, and like very concrete. You know, it's not just like, hey, put it all out there. You know, it's just like, OK, what do I do now? And it's like, OK, here, this is this is what you can do. And, and, and I think, for, you know, once you're sort of getting going, sometimes you just you want the nitty gritty. Um, and she, she really provides that and, and a lot of insight about how things work in publishing. Cool. We'll definitely, we'll try to find that, put it in the show notes. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, anybody who's watching or listening at this, they can find it if they're thinking about that they want to become an author and authoritative figure in their niche. Now, let's tap into a little bit more on the happiness side, right? Because that's what you've been a specialist in. Um, and that's what you've done so much research on. So is there any steps for someone right now who's going through entrepreneurship or maybe they're even thinking about getting into entrepreneurship, but right now when they wake up in the morning, um, they don't feel happy, right? They feel dragged down. They feel bogged down. Has there been a methodology that you've learned or you've created to allow somebody to at least start to build on happiness for that moment? Yeah, well, if I were going to... For somebody in that situation, I would suggest a couple different things. One is um, always it's always helpful to start with your your physical body because our physical experience always colors our emotional experience. And so and that's things like getting enough sleep. Most um, adults need at least seven hours of sleep. So you may need to, like, do the math, give yourself a specific bedtime. Don't just go to sleep whenever you're sleepy, because a lot of times we, like, jack ourselves up with, like, great TV or we check our work email and we get wide awake, even though really we should have gone to bed a couple of hours before. Um, so setting an alarm can help. Um, but you really want but people often tr- kind of fool themselves into thinking, well, I've trained myself to get by with four hours of sleep. But actually, when scientists study these people, they're quite impaired. So if you feel like everything's hard and you just feel drained and overwhelmed, um, really begin by focusing on your sleep. Similarly, you want to think about getting some exercise. You do not need to train for a marathon, but like great exercise. It's like a magical elixir of life. It calms us down and helps us sleep, but it also boosts our energy. And so Sometimes people think they're too tired to exercise, but actually exercise, unless you're really at the extreme, exercise tends to boost energy, not diminish energy. So feeling kind of sluggish is a reason to exercise, not skip exercising. But something like a 20-minute walk. Um, I have a podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and for 2020, we had like walk 20 and 20, and we challenged all our listeners to walk for 20 minutes um, every day in 2020, which turned out to be very timely. We did not know that COVID was coming, but it came. Um, And so many people were like, this unlocked so people went off medication, people reconnected with their spouses, people explored their neighborhood. I mean, and it, and you just get it boosts your immune function. It helps your memory, your your mood, your focus. 
Um, so you want to think about your physical experience and then even things like how comfortable are you? Like, is your office chair really like you're, if you're working at home, are you sitting on some like really uncomfortable dining room chair that makes your, like your rear end hurt after a couple of hours? Like maybe it's time to like go get a used good desk chair, you know? Um, or like, do you have too much light in your face or, or not enough light? Um, so um, just think about your physical experience. But, and that's very much on the surface, but it can drain us and overwhelm us if we don't take care of it. Then another thing I would say is really think about relationships because ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that to be happy, we need strong, enduring relationships. So if you're thinking about how to you know, use your t precious time, energy, or money, anything that deepens your relationships or broadens your relationships is probably a good thing to do. So for instance, I just traveled across the country to go to my cousin's wedding. It was a lot of travel. It was a lot of logistics. I was not there for very long, but I saw so many members of my family. I had, you know, and it's like, these are the ways that you making this kind of effort is what helps you to sustain your relationships. Then also, and this is obviously very important for entrepreneurs, is how do you broaden your relationships? How do you meet new people? How, which means like, if somebody tells, suggests showing up someplace, if you can, if something's come back, um, and you sort of feel like it, but then again, you sort of don't, you may, on the, you know, on balance, try to go. Because when you're broadening your relationships, or maybe start a group with people who share some interest of yours um, as a way to kind of efficiently form new relationships and friendships. Um, so those are two good places to start um, if you're feeling overwhelmed about what you might do to be happier. Yeah, I think that that's very, very key. And just like you said, I don't think that there's enough um importance on the outer appearance, right? And for a lot of people, not to say that, you know, but I think for us, if you don't like something about yourself, understand that you can change it, right? We all are human beings. So if you don't like now, granted, if that means that you've been in a fire or something like that, that was super tragic, you maybe can't change that. But for a lot of the times, it's such, like you said, surface level that we feel like we look overweight, well, yeah, that might mean we need to walk for 20 uh, minutes a day, right? That might mean that we need to get into a group where women or men are being encouraged, right, to work out or that Zumba or Peloton or something else because it's worth investing in your health, especially if it's bringing you down mentally to where you yeah. don't feel like that you're at your highest productivity point throughout the day. Well, and one thing I should suggest is that what research shows is that there's a, there's so many good reasons to exercise. It's great for your brain. It's great for your immune function. It's great for your mood. Um, it is not a great way to um, change your weight. So if what you want to change is your weight, you really need to do that through eating. That's what research shows is the, mo is the direct way to do it, to influence that. That doesn't mean that it's not important to exercise because exercise is so incredibly valuable to the functioning of the body. Um, it's really important to do it, but don't do it thinking, oh, this is how I will lose weight because, because then you'll probably be disappointed. It doesn't do that. That you have to do through eating. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal as well. Great wisdom. Um, this has been a, a great, great conversation. One question that I have for you is um, 
I always like to ask the question if we could go back and change anything. And a lot of people say, no, I wouldn't go back and change anything because it's made me who I am today. But I always kind of call a little bit of BS on that because I know if I could go back, you know, there's many of things that I would change losing my mom. Right. And there's sure. things that I just I wish that I could have back. But it does make us who who we are, which I understand. But I've learned to rephrase it in a different way now. And that way is if there is one thing that you wish that you would have implemented sooner to accelerate your path on your journey and your dream of where you are today. Tell us, what would that one thing be? I think, you know, one, uh, and I write about this in the happiness project. One of my personal commandments is to be Gretchen, meaning like uh, understand myself and accept myself, but also expect more for myself. And I wish that I had earlier really focused on like, like what is true about me? I think I spent a lot of time just kind of, assuming that what was true for other people was true for me um, or, you know, just not even really paying attention to what I like to do, um, you know, things as simple as, you know, it took me a really long time before I was like, you know what, I really don't like Earl Grey tea. I just never paid any attention to it before, um, which, of course, is kind of a superficial example, but just to show, like, sort of how... Uh, inattentive I was to kind of my own uh, kind of strengths, weaknesses, likes, dislikes. And I wish that I could go back and say, hey, be Gretchen. Um, I wish I could tell my younger self to be Gretchen because I think that would have that would have been very useful for me to focus on much earlier in my life. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, I, again, I want to be the first one. This has been a phenomenal conversation to say if no one else has told you today, thank you and I appreciate you. Uh, we'll make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes to your book, your website. Uh, but tell us, for anybody who wants to stay directly connected with you, tell us where can they find you at? If you go to GretchenRubin.com, you'll see links to everything. I'm on social media and all, all the usual places under my name, Gretchen Rubin. Um, my podcast is Happier with Gretchen Rubin. But again, if you go to the Gretchen Rubin, I've got a lot of products and tools that are meant to help help it make it easier to like be happier, healthier, more productive and more creative. If you go to GretchenRubin.com, it's all there. Cool. Well, again, we'll put those all in the show notes, but um, yes, again, thank you so much. And this has been phenomenal. Uh, as I said, cause I just think you've given off so much wisdom and you've been so transparent and authentic to like who you really are. And, and this is the way that, you know, you were made and, and how proud you are of it. Is there anything I feel the, the need to ask? Is there anything that I should have asked that maybe I didn't? I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Cool, cool. Well, again, thanks. And Dream Nation, just as she said, you have to be willing to believe in yourself and take action because that dream that you have, and we all have a dream, without the action, it'll only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. 
That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.